This episode of Ghost Stories is brought to you by Satrix, the leading provider of index tracking solutions in South Africa and a proud partner of Ghostmail. With no minimums and easy, low-cost access to local and global products via the Satrix Now online investment platform, everyone can own the market. Visit satrix.co.za for more information. Welcome to this episode of the Ghost Stories podcast. Really excited to have another guest with me here from Satrix, a man that you are surely familiar with by now if you've been reading your ghost mail and listening to your ghost stories podcasts. A bit of a rugby enthusiast, Sia. Is that uh, because of your name or is that just because you like rugby? I mean, it's a good time to be named Sia. Let's be completely honest. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying that name. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ghost. No, it's an absolute pleasure. So Sia Bulela Namoyi from Satrix and I think today we're going to have a bit of a chat around some of the year-to-date performance or recent performance that we've seen in the various ETFs in the market. You know, these are really, really helpful investment vehicles, not just for people who are looking for a sort of monthly debit order and a buy and forget. You know, you can use them way more actively than that. You can actually go and take a real view on a specific market sector or on local versus offshore you know, thinking about the RAND, thinking about all these things. And we'll get into all of this on the show, just giving you a bit of a flavor of what's coming. But Sia, I think let's start right at the top when it comes to ETFs. You know, how are these things typically weighted and constructed to create the product that investors then get familiar with? Yeah, thanks, Ghost. Please stop me whenever I start to drift away, but there's a lot of things to cover here. I mean, I always start this conversation by referring to unit trust first. Um, because I think a lot of people know the structure of a unit trust, I, I presume, and, and, and there's over a thousand of them in South Africa. But how do ETFs actually compare to, to, to unit trusts um, in terms of their construction? Um, and, you know, a lot of people get bored by this conversation uh, where people are asking what the difference is between unit trusts and ETFs. But it's a very important question, especially for someone who has just started investing. They're quite similar, yet they also have significant big differences. But the the underlying thing or the most important thing is that these products actually track an index. Um, You would hear um, about uh, a Cetrix Top 40 or a Cetrix MSCI World. Um, The reason um, it's named that way is because it's tracking a Top 40 index, whether it's a JSC index or or, or an S&P index or an MSCI index. So essentially, that's what they're doing. Um, and I mean, if we would take, if we would talk about a major difference between a unit trust and an ETF, that would be the pricing bit. But what really matters in ETFs is the fact that you are getting a basket of something all in one transaction. This could be a basket of the top 40 shares, as I've mentioned, a basket of government bonds or a basket of money market instruments. And this is a major advantage, especially for someone who, who just wants to get exposure to a certain market like China or the US or emerging market and so on. So and, and this is and, and you can do that without having to go in that market by and buy exposure instrument by instrument. And I think that's the most important part is that I mean you can get the, the exposure for these for these instruments and you can buy them one by one, but there's a cost line to that um, trading um, line by line. And ETFs actually help you get that uh, exposure in one go. So it's it's quite interesting when you look at ETFs and how they constructed. I mean, the basic being what we call a vanilla uh, strategy, which weights uh, stocks using a simple market cap weighted way. Um, this you find in ETFs that track the biggest top 40 companies, um, the, the Satrix KP ETF or 
um, where the market cap is actually used by and, and, and some capping is applied to it, um, the MSCI World Index, and, and so on. Um, and usually, you and then after that, you start moving away from the vanilla to a non-vanilla way of constructing indices. Um, so we start talking about thematic ETFs, for instance, uh, which favor stocks which uh, um, they generate their earnings from a certain theme, like the Satrix infrastructure or ETFs that track stocks that um, reduce indices' carbon footprint against a certain benchmark. The other way to actually create these indices is to start grouping constituents by a certain sector, like miners or financial stocks or property stocks and so on. Um, and then later on, maybe we can chat about this also. Um, there's also a, a very interesting part of a, a non-vanilla strategy where you look at smart beta or factor ETFs, um, which also um, play a very important role as well. So there's, there's a vast number of ways of creating indices that these ETFs track. Uh, that is why there's almost like 9,000 ETFs listed um, uh, across the globe. And JSE has is around 99 ETFs, which is around 1% of that. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was just thinking now of like, what is a good analogy for someone who's kind of new to investing? And, you know, if you go to the supermarket and you do your groceries, and you can imagine that someone created an Italian index because you feel like making Italian food that night, you know, and that basket is just ready to go. It's already by the till. It's been packed for you. You don't have to do any thinking beyond just knowing that you feel like Italian. Sia's gone and picked that basket for you. You know, he's gone and put in the pasta and the sauce and the mince or whatever it is you're going to be making. And voila, you're ready to go home and make your pasta bolognese. I mean, you've even chosen the wine for them. You know, and that's the magic of ETF. So the decision you need to make is, I feel like Italian or I feel like Chinese or I feel like a braai and the basket is ready to go in a single transaction, as opposed to, I feel like Italian, but I actually want the penne, I don't want the spaghetti. Then you're going and you're picking stocks now. You've got a theme that says, I like Italian, but I think I can do it better. And of course, the big difference here is that basket of goods at the front of the store in the Italian theme, that's getting rebalanced regularly, right? So, you know, you look at it and go, okay, well, this is the type of pasta that should be in here now, or whatever the case may be. If I want to go in and build my own Italian basket, I would have to go and rebalance it all myself all the time. And the other issue, which is where the supermarket analogy falls over and this becomes a lot less you know, frivolous and a lot more real, is that comes with tax leakage and transaction costs and all of the other pain and agony that comes with this. So yeah, would you say that's a decent analogy for how ETFs actually work? Excellent um, analogy there. And it's quite important to actually understand it that way because I mean, it's easy to just get into the supermarket and, and, and you decided that you're Italian, but you see something else now that is um, of interest, but doesn't actually appeal to what you went to the shop for. The, the best way to, is to actually rely on something that's transparent. And also, as you mentioned, that there's a, there's a consistent way of rebalancing these baskets. So you depending on how the strategy is actually um, being rebalanced or actually constructed and there's a consistent way of actually having that uh, so i think it's a very very good uh, analogy so local versus offshore that's one of the most fundamental questions you know you, you go to the supermarket is it the italian is it the u.s basket or is it the the local bry the bry and the voice and the pup and whatever else we're having while we watch the rugby and uh, local is very lacquer when it comes to food it is sometimes lacquer when it comes to equities <laughs> often unfortunately it's not relative to offshore and that's just a function of our currency our South African economic growth versus what we've seen elsewhere in the world, 
you know, one is not always better than the other. Definitely not. I think that's a mistake that people make. They assume that, you know, without a doubt, local is broken and without a doubt, offshore is better. You know, if investing was that easy, there wouldn't be an entire industry of people who dedicate their lives to this stuff. But see, if we look at the performance this year, an index like the NASDAQ, for example, has had a very, very strong year. I mean, tech has very much been the word again this year and the RAND on top of that. So I'm keen to get your views on, you know, what have you seen in terms of local versus global this year? What are investors saying? And what have you seen in the performance? Sure. Um, I think you, you mentioned a very, very important part of offshore investing there, which is the currency bit. And I just want to touch on that before I actually get to the actual performance. Because, I mean, there are people who actually don't understand sometimes the meaning of investing um, in, in locally listed ETFs that offer offshore exposure. You'd get sometimes a client over the phone screaming at you <laughs> um, that they only up 2% on their investment while they saw on news or some index return app that the NASDAQ is up 10%, for instance, but they only got two. And most of the time, the issue there is not actually realizing that there is also that currency effect in their investment while they may have seen that uh, Nasdaq index shown in dollar in dollar returns. So just to quickly raise that the, the doubts or questions there, the, the offshore ETFs that are listed on the GST have an underlying composition or basket that is a in a foreign currency, for instance, like the dollar, but the ETFs are all priced in rands. And that is why you get on your on your overall rand denominated portfolio um, a rand return um, and you can imagine during a period of a week rand that this means your offshore investment is, is also picking up an advantage of the rand weakness and the opposite actually also applies when the rand is, is strengthening so just uh, and then a quick touch on on on, on something that uh, i would like to mention in this part is that we almost have uh, an even split as well in terms of offshore and local etfs in the South African market uh, when you count them. So around 54 local and then 45 offshore. And if you um, look at how much the assets under management on those ETFs are, it's almost like an, a 50-50 split between offshore and and um, local. So it's quite a, an even split. Um, there's almost 100 ETFs um, listed on the JSC in that, in that front. And I always, try and, and explain this to, to investors as well is that even though we've got almost 100 ETFs, there's also the repetition amongst issuers as well with ETFs. For instance, there are about six top 40 ETFs, whether it's Swix or All Share Weighted, there's about five S&P, there's about four MSCI. So people sometimes tend to think that they have diversified their portfolio by holding four ETFs from different issuers. And then you find out in your portfolio that you're actually holding the same index, you know, that's, so that's quite important. But I just wanted to mention that before I get to the performance, because I think it's quite important. But um, I mean, so far, as you've mentioned, the tech stocks uh, driven or uh, any indices which have a huge overweight in US stocks, those ETFs have been doing very, very well in the last uh, um, in the last uh, eight or nine months or so. And in the top 10 since the beginning of the year, you spot all the ETFs that track S&P 500. But the one that, uh, the, the, the the two that have been, uh, what I've, uh, I've been saying, they've been on stealth mode, they've been 
since the beginning of the year have been the OneVest, Infotech, and the Satrix Nasdaq 100 ETFs. So um, these are quite aggressive ETFs. And what I mean by that is that they offer exposure to a certain sector, Infotech, mostly in this instance, the uh, offshore, um, and they are equity ETFs. So in the Infotech one, you see that almost 30% of that is, is Apple, which has been up 40%. Um, this year, followed by Microsoft, which is up 40% as well. And the the talk of the town, which is NVIDIA, I mean, 200% year to date. <laughs> that's 11% on that index. So that's done very, very well. And then moving on to, to the NASDAQ index. I mean, this takes the top 100 non-financial stocks that are listed on the NASDAQ exchange in the U.S. So it's, it's more diversified and holds uh, stocks like Apple at 11%. Uh, you will get your Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, uh, Meta in your top 10. And these the, there are other well-known brands in the in the top 10, like Tesla, Alphabet, and PepsiCo. Um, this, these names have put uh, both these ETFs, uh, I have listed almost 60% for the year, a massive recovery after 2022. So um, it's been a, a tech-driven year, mostly. But what's also very, very important that I want to mention, and, and this, uh, this is the reason why I, I was speaking about it earlier, is that um, on, on the offshore investment, the biggest performers this year have been offshore, have all returned above 30% or so. But the RAND has also weakened during the same period. The USDs are uh, depreciating by almost 11%. So that's a massive addition to your offshore-based funds priced in RANDs. So see, it's really interesting, right? And timing is everything with these things. So the funny thing about a year-to-date chart on, for example, the Satrix NASDAQ 100 feeder ETF, a year-to-date chart is almost perfectly picking the bottom. If you look back to like mid-2021, it's quite extraordinary. It, it really, like if you woke up, you know, after your New Year's Eve party and you decided, right, this is it, this is the year for the Satrix uh, NASDAQ feeder, you really did buy a relatively recent bottom you know, it, it was sitting at those levels, as I say, mid-2021 previously. If you had decided to YOLO your life savings into this thing in sort of November, December 2021, when uh, the NASDAQ was very, very hot indeed, you would be up, but you would not be up nearly by those sort of numbers. So timing is still everything with these ETFs. And, you know, if you go and, and have a look at the constituents there, for example, like Apple, now you go and look at Apple's returns over the last 10 years and you go look at how much of that return is from the multiple, the valuation multiple going through the roof and how much of it is genuine earnings growth, you would be quite shocked. The last time I looked at it, earnings growth was sort of, I hope I don't get this wrong, but it was kind of barely double digits um, as a compound annual growth rate. But the share price performance is way in excess of that because people are just willing to pay way more per dollar of Apple's profits. Now, obviously that cannot continue into infinity and beyond. You know, the thing is going to keep growing, sure, but the multiple is not going to double from here. It's just not going to happen. So I guess this is the, the risk of, you know, past performance versus future performance. And it's why professional fund managers will look for underpriced stocks, not just the biggest brands in the world. And that's obviously the other way to invest to, you know, ETFs, which, are, you know, the word passive always gets people a little bit concerned. It's not necessarily passive, but this is a basket of stocks within a theme. And if one of them is a little bit expensive at the moment, you know, you're buying that stock too. 
inside that theme. Likewise, if you go and look for value in another theme, you know, you may find an ETF that as a whole is nice and underpriced because the constituents underneath it are underpriced. So this is what people need to understand with an ETF. You are buying a basket of stocks. And if the stocks inside that basket are now too expensive, the ETF is probably going to disappoint you. If you are buying a basket of undervalued stocks, then guess what? You know, that ETF will do quite well. And that's where ETFs are really, really interesting. This is not some boring investment tool where you just kind of close your eyes and hope for the best and it'll always work out. You know, you can do really, really well out of ETFs. And I use them a lot in my tax-free savings account. It's something I've written about before publicly. You know, you have the ability to build up this nice juicy amount in a tax-free savings account and then rotate through ETFs if you want to play a more active role. Obviously, that's not the that's not the standard approach to ETF investing, and I'm not suggesting it should be for a moment. But that is one of the ways you can use these things. And you know, it's just nice to hear you talk about the constituents of this NASDAQ ETF because understanding the constituents is so important to understanding the performance. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And and I think you touched on something that's quite important, which is, I mean, there there will be periods where there's massive underperformance, and there will be periods where there's there's also very good uh, performance, which is the volatility part of, of these aggressive ETFs as well, which is why I mentioned that some of these uh, ETFs are deemed aggressive. So I think previously you had sent out a ghost mail, which was speaking about get rich or die trying investment strategies. And I think <laughs> this also applies as well. Aging myself accordingly as we think back to that 50 cent <laughs> album. Yeah. So so I think this also applies to, to ETFs as well. They they. They're great if you also look at them as as a part of an overall investment strategy because it can go very well and also it can go to the left very, very quickly. Um, so it's, it's very important to look at, at them as, as, yeah, as I mentioned, as an overall strategy. Yeah, exactly. And ETF is just a way to access equities. It's not this amazing silver bullet that prevents that hurting you or stops it from doing incredibly well. Importantly, you know, we've got to look at the upside and the downside. I guess before we move off the local versus offshore question, you know, for investors who are very worried about South Africa, and obviously uh, those investors are all over the place right now, and I can understand why, you know, does going and buying a Satrix uh, NASDAQ ETF here on the JSE address the risk of being worried about South Africa? Because your money hasn't physically left the country. And I think for people to just understand that nuance, maybe. And then I'll give my views on it as well, actually. Sure. I think the, the important part is, I mean, your, your money is still in South Africa. It's, it hasn't gone offshore. But at the same time, you are diversifying away from stocks which are more SA Inc. So stocks which are more driven by local, local events or getting most of their revenues from uh, local sales. So I think... The importance of, of, of moving your, your money into more offshore-based um, uh, in, instruments or ETFs, I, I think it's, it, it speaks to that part where um, you're also diversifying away from, from um, SA Inc. Uh, stocks. And the other part is, I mean, we have a currency which is quite liquid, um, which trades on a daily basis, and it tends to react to a lot of events. So when you are... Um, investing into an ETF like the NASDAQ, um, you also have that currency bit as well, which helps you with your returns um, at the same time. Um, so it's, it, it actually helps you with your overall strategy, but at the same time, it also um, acts as a rent hedge 
um, in periods where um, the currency is not really doing as well as it should be. Yeah, these uh, locally listed ETFs with offshore exposure help you a lot with, I don't want to say financial immigration because your money is still here, but it's a, it's a step towards that. It's, a, it's diversifying your exposure away from South Africa, which is just a sensible thing to do, even for the you know, most patriotic South African, it's still just a sensible thing to do. South Africa is a small part of the global economy and we don't have the tech giants, you know, that you're using every day in your, in your daily life. But the last point I'll make on that is, you know, if you really are worried about South Africa and all of that, it's only if you have many millions to your name that you would struggle to get it out quickly. You know, the reality is the Saab rules do allow you to take money out uh, relatively painlessly. So, you know, your 50,000 rand a uh, little savings amount in an ETF. If you really want to get that out and go and open a bank account overseas because you're convinced that South Africa is overs, you can do that anyway. You know, you don't need to necessarily go through that pain and agony and panic and go and incur all those costs overseas and go and rot away in a little savings account. You, know, you can actually just buy a global ETF and actually get a decent return potentially, some equity exposure and actually have the access to your money if you change your mind. You know, that's the other thing. Unfortunately, South Africa is a volatile place and it tends to, <laughs> the mood the mood changes depending on the sport. So the Springboks have certainly done their bit. Uh, even the Proteas seem to have woken up maybe. And, uh, you know, now maybe people will look, look closer to home. And the point is ETFs give you that flexibility. Your money's still here and it's literally a buy or sell away. And I think that's quite a, that's quite a benefit of doing this. Uh, one thing to just mention on that, uh, perhaps not very funny, but you still need um, power and, and network connection to actually do that disinvestment from your <laughs> from your ETFs um, invested locally. So that might be a big you problem. Got, you got to you got to find someone with a solar panel, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> solar panel in a hotspot. Yeah, make 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 good friends. Oh my gosh, you have to you have to um, yes, filter exactly. your friends very very well. <laughs> the the, tr the trick is to be friends with people in a different ESCOM zone. That's key. You can't be friends with people who are all in the same load shedding zone. You must diversify, <laughs> yeah. you know, have friends in different no, no, no. suburbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. key. So if you go out there and socialize, that's the one of the first questions that you ask. Which grid Which grid are you? Yeah, no. ESCOM is helping people meet other people from other places. It's wonderful. So I think, Sia, let's move on from local versus offshore a little bit. I want to talk to some of the other sectors that might have caught your eye. You know, Satrix has a whole bunch of different products available and they sometimes can get quite specific. You know, they can look at a financials index or an industrials index, for example. Anything there that has kind of caught your eye this year uh, that you think is worth mentioning on this podcast? Yes, so, I mean, we do have sector ETFs and they're one of the oldest actually in South Africa. They listed in 2002. Um, we've got the financial ETF, we have the Resi ETF, which um, tracks the resource stocks. And we also have the industrial ETF. So, the, yeah, as you mentioned, they're quite specific. But for someone who just wants um, uh, local exposure, um, these these ex actually speak to them quite a lot. Um, and, I mean, our banking system is, is top class. And if you're looking at investing into banking stocks and also insurers as well, Definitely, your 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 financials ETFs is, is the one, but it's 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 up six percent for the year, so it's not shooting the lights out, um, but it's doing okay. Um, resources, you know, on the other hand, have been battling a bit in this year, so the Resi is down about nineteen percent, um, but the the industrial one where you you get household names like Mr. Price 
uh, ShopRite, uh, Woolies, um, Nespas. So, I mean, those stocks are in that um, ETF and it's up 12% for, for this year, um, year to date. So I think also these very specific um, sector ETFs, that's quite very, very important. We also consider them as part of diversifying your portfolio, not only just holding one of them. I mean, if you were just holding one, uh, as for instance, the Razor one, you'll, you'll be down 19%. But if you if you held that as part of a, uh, an, a, a portfolio, then you'll be better off because that's also just putting in diversification in your portfolio going forward as well. So, I mean, th those will be your sectors, but the the other part will be looking at um, thematic ETFs as well. And not a lot of people speak about this, but it's quite interesting because it, thematic ETFs, the, the return profiles are quite scattered. So, um, which is quite important when you speak about diversification again, uh, the word diversification comes in because you're always looking for um, investment strategies which are low correlated. So if one is up, the other one is down, or the other one is down, the other one is up. So, and, and that is what you usually, uh, what usually happens when different themes tend to not follow each other uh, when it comes to returns. So that's what you get from thematic ETFs as well. So that is what also speaks to the strength of looking at thematic ETFs. So as they can also introduce diversification in, in your fund. So last year, Cetrix um, introduced the Smart City Infrastructure ETF, which follows a stocks uh, issued index, which is a mega trend that captures the benefits that come with the emergence of smart cities and the fact that there are technology um, or technologically advanced services needed to service those cities. So the, the ETF is up 26 for the year. So it follows after the best performers, which I mentioned at the start, which is where mostly Infotech was, uh, there were most Infotech. So it's a, it's a, it's a big diversifier. Um, and also just one thing to mention, and I think corporate earnings in Japan seem to have improved and Japan has kept rates super low while the rest of the world has been has been raising i mean that region of the world is always like totally different from from other regions and the index is at its 33 year high uh, so it's been doing very very well this year um, so japan exposure has also been strong for the year as well so Sia, thanks for digging into some of those sector exposures and i think something that i would like to highlight or that i wish was different you know it's a little free product idea for you here is uh, the concept of a retail ETF because the problem is there's actually no retail index that lets me just go and buy a basket of you know five or eight or whatever South African retailers, a little bit of apparel, a little bit of grocery, you know maybe Lewis in there for a bit of variety, because it's actually a phenomenal way to trade load shedding, <laughs> because you can pretty much see as level six comes back or goes away, you know there's a lot of action in those stocks. And uh, it would be a very interesting swing trade for a tax-free savings account, which I've, I'm sure is, is absolutely nowhere on anyone's product design specs because I do things a bit differently in life. But I do wish that there was a JSE retail index because you've highlighted the industrials index there. And the problem with that thing is that it's got everything from, as you say, Mr. Price through to, you know, telecoms. So it's like, it's kind of like the engine room of South Africa, which is interesting. But right now, in these conditions, the engine room of South Africa, there's two of them, right? There's the industrials businesses, the genuine industrials businesses that are doing very well. And then there's the retailers that are really struggling. So 
you know, maybe those new active ETF rules, you can go and build a, a basket of retailers, you know, then that supermarket analogy really comes to the fore. Sure. Um, that's a great idea. Um, and I think, as, you, as you've mentioned, um, I mean, the, the retail companies or stocks tend to be defensive, especially in a, in a, in a period where there's, there's load shedding or there's a market downturn. So I think it's a very good idea to, to just have a think on. As, as long as there's an index, uh, because, I mean, the, the way to actually list these ETFs can be quite complicated because you need an index to track um, and, and all other com complications that come with the regulators as well. So it's a, it's, a, it's a good one to actually just have a think over. If we do, um, we'll try and have Ghost in the name as well. Yeah, there we go. The Ghost ETF, I like it. You'll have to lobby the, the JSE to go and create that retail ETF. <laughs> I think uh, something I still want to get to before we run out of time is just the sort of uh, factor or smart beta ETF. So that's a term that people will see come up here and there. So I think maybe just a couple of minutes on what those actually are. Yeah. So we spoke about vanilla strategies where uh, most of the time market cap weighting is used. It starts to get even more interesting when we then also look at factors or smart betas or styles um, ETFs, which aim to beat the market returns by favoring stocks that uh, give investors exposure to a certain style. And style, I mean, uh, momentum, value, quality. I think you did mention something on values um, and so on. So in simple terms, factor funds take a standard market cap weighted list of, of stocks from a certain benchmark, let's say the SWIX or the All Share. And then they start to tilt the weights of those stocks towards a certain factor or style. And the way to do this is, let's say the style we want is value. So we would look to upweight stocks in our list that are deemed value by looking at fundamentals like PE ratios, price to book or price to cash flows or, and so on, which can tell you whether a stock is relatively cheap or expensive. Uh, when looking at that compared to its uh, market price. Uh, momentum as well is another style where you look at price momentum uh, or quality where you look at indicators like return on equity, leverage or accruals and so on. So these tend to also add diversification in your, in your strategy where they stand to beat the market over the long term and have a tilt towards a certain style. Um, but in, in the last while, I mean, also just to mention in terms of performance, uh, these are mainly for someone who wants to invest for like five to 10 years going forward. And the main um, reason for investing in them is also to just add a little bit of returns over and above what the market is giving you, uh, which we, t we sometimes call alpha. So in the last while, stars have been battling in a bit. We saw a period where value was very, very strong. Um, in the last three years, if you compare it to market returns, but there's been a bit of a slowdown, and so and momentum and also quality have been struggling as well in 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 the last year or so. So they've been they've been good performance in these strategies, but they they are there's positive absolute um, performance, but when you compare that to the rest of the market, they've been underperforming. So, um, but in the long term. There's been studies which show that um, these star factors actually tend to outperform 
the market returns. And Sia, of course, something that we've chatted about on a previous podcast, which I thought was really interesting and quite well received by the market, because it's just something that isn't really on anyone's radar. It's sort of, you know, those fixed income ETFs, for want of a better description. So these are baskets of government bonds, for example. And in a high yield environment, that's pretty interesting. So I guess any closing comments on, you know, this is something that you obviously keep an eye on versus equity indices, et cetera. You know, how are those things performing and any thoughts on them in this current environment? Yeah, so, I mean, in South Africa, when we talk about fixed income in South Africa, I mean, we start from the cash part and it's always been said that cash is king in South Africa. I mean, in 2023, just another year that the statement is proven to be true. Investing just in standard money market fund, you would have kept up with inflation in the last year or so. So risk-averse investors would have benefited from being cautious in a period of running inflation. But when you're looking at bonds, nominal bonds have done way better than inflation linkers, looking at the last eight months or so, which also highlights the importance of diversification within an asset class as well, um, as ILBs had been a very, very good investment in the last three years. They've kept up with inflation, also having a bit of a return over and above that. But they've slowed a bit in, in, in the period where inflation rate has also slowed down. And and the market is actually favoring more on nominal bonds with the, with the higher yields in new issuance as well. So I think it's very important for investors to actually have a look at asset classes as uh, asset classes like bonds as well when they are considering um, investments in their overall strategies because um, I think I've mentioned this before that people tend to actually look at investments as just equities whereas there's other asset classes out there which can benefit um, your portfolio both on the short-term basis and also on the long-term basis as well yeah absolutely i think that's the overarching message today is you know etfs are really interesting you can use them as proper diversification tools and not just whether you want to be in a different jc sector or you know you can go the local or offshore route you can bring in factor and style etfs you can bring in fixed income etfs there's actually so much you can do with them and you can do it in your tax-free savings accounts i'm going to keep on banning that point home because the legislation exists that makes it even more efficient to do it. And you can buy any of these things in your tax-free savings accounts. And that obviously is a winner. So Sia, I want to thank you for your time and the ongoing uh, just insights that you share with us here on the Ghost Stories podcast, also in Ghost Mail, in the articles that you write for us. And to listeners who have enjoyed this, I would suggest you work back through, you know, if you haven't listened to any of the other Ghost Stories podcasts with the Satrix team, there are quite a few of them now with various team members from Satrix. Go through and check them out. You know, they really, really are good. There is so much to learn. So Sia, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to doing this again with you. Appreciate it, Ghost. Thanks so much.